Thank you very much indeed. It's great to be um, with you today. And um, we're going to look today at how to increase your peace, how to increase your peace. And we're going to look at a passage uh, in John's Gospel. This is in John 14, starting at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So I want to speak today about how to increase your peace. And we've been looking over the summer at reconciliation, what it means to bring together things that have been separated and divided in our relationships, in our lives, in our city, in our world. And key to the idea of reconciliation is the hope of peace. As human beings, we have a deep longing for peace. And at a time when there's so much division and uncertainty and hostility in the world, and where peace seems so hard to find in our own lives, because we're always on, because of the digital space, because people can access you um, anywhere you are in the world, at a moment when that's so hard to find, it feels like peace is even more precious for our lives. So how do we find and increase peace and the peace around us in London in 20? Well, the first thing we see in this passage is that peace is not a state of mind or a feeling you achieve. It's a person you receive. Now, we often think of peace as kind of a nice feeling. Like it's the absence of trouble and the presence of contentment. Generally speaking, there are kind of two routes we try and take to find peace in our lives. Now, the first is to try and change our circumstances, to try and order our lives and the circumstances around us in such a way that it's beneficial to us and we feel more at peace. So sometimes that's by accumulating things or, or kind of getting things in your life, whether it's uh, getting a new job so that you feel more satisfaction and more peace, whether it's getting a promotion so you don't have to listen to that boss anymore, you can ignore them, or whether it's uh, getting, finding um, a new flat with a little bit more space you feel a little bit more at peace, whether it's finding uh, a new person for your life, you know, if I could just persuade that person to fall in love with me, then I might feel like I'm at peace. Um, it can be any number of things. But that's one of the things that people try and do. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that approach, trying to um, uh, 
uh, get more things, you know, or trying to, trying to shape your world that way. And then sometimes it's, it's, it's by eliminating things, getting rid of things. Uh, basically saying, if I could just uh, get rid of that hassle, if I could just get that stress out of my life, if I could just get uh, that colleague out of my life, if I could just get uh, that boss out of my life, if I could just uh, get that thing out of my life, then I would feel like I'm at peace. It's eliminating something that causes you hassle. There's nothing wrong with trying to shape the world around you, your circumstances, to bring you greater peace. But it doesn't always work. And particularly in London, a city of 8.7 million people, um, which is as busy and as fun as London is, it's not always realistic to think that you just kind of manage all stress and hassle out of your life. Um, when I first moved to London, uh, I was commuting in on the district line, and on a day, I remember a day almost as hot as today, and the train was full. Now, if you, if you go on the true trains, you know there are levels of full. There's kind of, this is really busy, and then people come on and they say, could you move down a bit? And everyone, just to show willing, kind of shuffles down a little bit. But there's still space, actually. People, you know, you could fit people in there if you kind of plonk them in. This was full. There was no room. There was barely room to breathe. Like, I, I, it, I was closer to people than you ever want to be at 7 a.m. <laughs> on a Monday morning. It was completely and utterly full. And we pulled into this uh, station, and the doors opened. No one got off. And this one guy was there, and everyone else had backed away. You know, they're never going to get on. But this one guy was like, I want to get on that train. And so he kind of took a few paces back. And I was like, what is he going to do? And he just like fixed the carriage with this kind of glare. And then as the doors started to beep, he kind of ran forward as fast as he could and kind of shoulder barged his way into the carriage. And of course, this mass of people kind of retracted a little bit. And he kind of went on to the, and then the doors kind of boop, boop, shut behind him. And then obviously what retracts needs to expand. And so it expanded again. And he was kind of pushed up against the door. Now, here's the thing. He was smiling. He was... He was happy he'd got onto the tube, like he was pinned against the door for the rest of the journey in extreme heat. Everyone else was angry with him, but he was just happy he got on the tube. Like, that's not normal. Like, another time, Beth and I were at a street market in London, and there's lots of people jostling around, really busy, and we're just walking through the street market, and a guy came up to Beth, and he pickpocketed her purse. Um, and took it out of her handbag. But the thing was, there wasn't much space to kind of run. So um, he was like next to her, and Beth turns. She said, did you just pickpocket my purse? And he was like, yeah. And she's like, she's like, can I have my purse back, please? And he was like, okay, you know, you kind of got me. Like, handed it back to her. And the thing is, we weren't even angry. We were like, you know, a nice try, you know, kind of thing. And he's like, oh, well, you know. And then we walked along with him for about another three minutes. It was completely surreal. Like, you're just, you're, you're kind of, there's just a certain amount of hassle and kind of stuff that just goes with living in a busy city. So it's quite hard if you want to remove all stress and hassle from your life. That's going to be a difficult thing to do. And actually, what you find in life is some of the most stressed people you ever meet are those who have made it their mission to try and remove all stress from their lives because it's really hard to do. So one option is to try and manage your circumstances. You might say, well, I'm not going to be able to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to manage myself. I'm going to, I'm going to remove myself from the impact of the circumstances that happen. I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm not going to be bothered by the significance of events. So stuff might happen in my life, but it's not going to affect me. I'm going to be in a state of perfect tranquility. I'm going to be in a state of zen, calm, Every day, all day, every day. That might happen, doesn't matter, Brexit, whatever, da-da-da. It's not going to affect me, it's not going to invade my space, it's not going to invade my calm. And again, you know, it's, 
some people try and do that, and, and you can try and do that. You can have some success with that. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But ultimately, it's quite a difficult thing to do. Um, it's quite difficult to tell yourself that these things don't matter when they're having impacts on your life. And actually, even if you could, it wouldn't necessarily be positive because if you insulate yourself from all hassle, you also run the risk of insulating yourself from all joy. And what we find is that actually the troubles you face are often a sign of the desires you have. We worry, generally speaking, because something we love is threatened. You follow your worries, you tend to find your loves. And you know, if we detach ourselves from the significance of events, we might be stepping away from things that we love. Now, there might be some things we love too much, or we might need to reorder our loves, or we, we might need help from, from various sources to try and you know, help us rationalize the things that happen in our life. That's a really good approach. You know, worry and anxiety and things like that, they're, they're, they're emotional, they're, they're, they're psychological, um, but they're also spiritual. There's a spiritual side to what's going on. We don't want to remove ourselves from the things that we love. So what, what do we do then? If either of those approaches aren't guaranteed to succeed. Well, here Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he leaves them to go to the cross. They're seated around the table at the Last Supper. And Jesus knows they're going to face trouble. It's not an option for them to manage their lives in a way to remove all hassles and avoid stressful situations. Plus, the things that Jesus is actually asking his disciples to do they're going to have to be motivated by a deep love for people and a deep concern for people. The trouble and suffering are going to touch their hearts, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's a good thing. So in this vital moment, Jesus doesn't explain how to achieve a blissful state of tranquility he promises them the presence of a person in their lives. He says, I will ask the Father to send the Spirit, another advocate, like a strong companion is what it means. And Jesus promises peace. He promises, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. But the promise of peace is intertwined with the promise of the Holy Spirit. See, peace isn't a state of mind you achieve. It's a person you receive. The Holy Spirit in you. See, the Holy Spirit will change the way you feel, but he's a person, not a feeling. The Holy Spirit blows where he wills, but he's a person, not a force. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the presence of a person. The Spirit is someone you can know, relate to, have a conversation with, listen to, be guided by. And Jesus says, I will leave and I'll ask the Father to send the Spirit to you. And he also says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And we're really close here to the mystery, which is at the heart of God, which I struggled with at first, but now which I think is the most beautiful, wonderful, relevant, practical thing about our faith. That God is one in three persons. And at the heart of God is this relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that we are actually invited into that relationship. So Jesus' promise of the Spirit doesn't mean his absence, but actually his more powerful presence in your life. Peace isn't the absence of trouble, but the presence of Jesus with you and even in you by his Spirit. And Jesus says, on that day you'll realize that I'm in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. 
If anyone loves me, they'll obey my teaching. And we will come to them and make our home in them. And that means whatever you face, whatever's going on in your life today, you have available to you a helper, a strong companion to be with you and even in you. We all face things in life where we need people alongside us. And one of my uh, best friends um, is a guy called John. And between the age of 18 and kind of 23, we used to hang out all the time. We're still great friends now, but we don't get to see each other as much. And when I think of strong companion, I think of John. Uh, because John a little bit older than me, and he's also... Um, how can I put this? He's a bit stronger than me. And he, um, when we were kind of growing up, he, he, um, he could handle himself. But by he, he was a black belt in karate. So if we, just being around him made me feel a bit more peaceful. And um, we once went to a club, and we're in this bar, and this guy came up to me and kind of was trying to start a fight, and he was quite a bit bigger than me. Um, and I was like, can I introduce you to my friend John? And... Um, <laughs> And John did this amazing thing, like this guy um, came up to him, was trying to provoke him, trying to get him into a fight, and John fixed him in the eyes, and he looked at him, he said, I don't have to fight you. He says, I know who I am, I'm secure in my identity, and I know what I'm capable of. I'm not going to fight you. And I tell you, he said it like he was the most dangerous guy in the world. Like this guy was like, okay, 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 and he went, he just left. I need to learn how to speak like that. But he was amazing because he was just absolute confidence. And, you know, he was a useful guy to have around on a night out. But also, he's much wiser than me. Um, and he'd seen a lot more things. So, you know, I once phoned him up and I was, like, trying to work out whether um, to go out with this girl who I quite liked and fancied. And the thing was, I had a couple of mates who weren't necessarily giving me wise advice. They were like, oh, don't pin yourself down. Don't commit to anyone. You're too young. Just have fun. And I was like, yeah, but I really want to go out with her. And I phoned him up, and he was like, oh, don't listen to them. And I was like, why? And he said, they're speaking out of fear. And I was like, what? He said, they're speaking out of fear. They're afraid of taking the risk of committing to someone because they don't know what will happen. But everything meaningful in life involves risks. You've got to take a risk on a relationship. I was like, that's so helpful. <laughs> you probably know some people he could chat to that, you know, need to just make that commitment. I don't know, you know. But he was a useful, so helpful to have around. And also he'd seen a bit more than me. So when was the ups and downs of life, he wasn't thrown by them. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And he, he was really secure. He was, he was a Christian, and he'd been a Christian longer than me. He was really secure in his identity in Jesus. So if people criticized him or had a go at him, he would, like, take the good and learn from it. But he wasn't thrown by it. It didn't really affect him. He could laugh at people when they said unkind things about him. He's like, you know, I, know, I know my identity. Now, that's a mate, an amazing mate, but still just a mate. Now, you have the best possible companion in the world alongside you and even in you. And that makes a really significant difference. So, Josh is going to come up here. Could you welcome Josh up? He's going to come. Now, I just want, you, just want you to imagine for the next couple of minutes that Josh is the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that's a hard thing for you to do or an easy thing to do. Just imagine Josh the Holy Spirit. Now, as you're going through life, you face storms from time to time. Maybe someone sends you a really kind email or a really unthoughtful text. Or maybe someone criticizes you. Or maybe someone behaves in a way you didn't expect. Or maybe something takes you by surprise and throws you and shocks you. And what happens when you're, you're being buffeted about by events, what happens is you start to be in a bit of a storm. Now that's one thing. You can be in a storm and storms happen in life. But it's a different thing when you're not just in the storm, but the storm starts to get in you. 
And then that event is stopped, it's finished, but you're going off to chat to someone else and you're trying to smile, you're trying to just crack on with your day, but inside you're still churned up, you're still really impacted by what happened before because you weren't just in a storm, the storm got in you. But here's the thing, I can be really impacted, like some, something happens that I'm not expected, an event, and it really throws me, and I'm really upset about it, and it starts to make me feel a bit churned up inside. But here's the thing, the Holy Spirit knows the end from the beginning. The Holy Spirit is never surprised by anything. The Holy Spirit never says, I did not see that coming. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is sovereign and can weave all things into his good purposes. So if the Holy Spirit is in you, you can be in that storm and still be still. I can be really impacted by something someone says to me. They say something really unkind and it bothers me and it can really affect me. But here's the thing, the Holy Spirit knows the mind and the thoughts of the Father and the Son. And so the Holy Spirit knows what the Son and the Father think about me. And that shifts things. Holy Spirit's not concerned about what anyone else in the world thinks because those are the that's the, opinion, the most important opinion in the world. Every other opinion is relativized next to that. You know, I really, really might be bothered about maybe someone you care about says something really unkind to you and it stays with you and it wakes you up in the middle of the night. It can really bother you. And it's almost like what they said sticks with you. But then the Holy Spirit preaches to your heart and says, you know, you're, you're a much-loved child. You're a much-loved daughter, a much-loved son of the Most High God. And that means that you might be in a storm and you might be buffeted around, but at the base of your spirit, in your innermost place, there can be stillness, even when you're in the storm, because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Thank you so much to Josh. And it's really interesting because um, Tim Keller talks about in, in the word anxiety in the Greek. There's like, there's like a play on that word. Like it, it almost means to be bothered by many things. And when Jesus speaks to Martha, he says, Martha, you're worried about many things. So being anxious can be like, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about many things. There's many things jumping around in my mind. Whereas peace, shalom, it's like a oneness, a unity of focus. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is to testify, to speak to your heart and say, there's lots going on, but there's one thing you should focus on. And that is the most important relationship in this universe. Your eternal relationship with God is secure and has been won for you by Jesus Christ. And you are looked on with favor by God. And you have been adopted as a much-loved daughter, a much-loved son, a much-loved child of the Most High God. And that's the one thing that then starts to reorientate your whole focus. Peace is not a state of mind you achieve. It's a person you receive, the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. But then also this passage tells us that peace is not a prize you have to cling to, but it's a gift you can share. You know, we've been focusing on ourselves so far, like how we find peace, but any approach to peace that starts and ends with yourself is unrealistic and ultimately unhelpful because your peace is not just about you. We're not self-contained islands. Our lives are complex interactions of people and uh, relationships. And you were made for so much more than personal tranquility and calm. I heard about a study done where they gathered a whole load of people and they asked them to picture a scene of peace. And one group of people pictured a beach 
beautiful beach. Another group of people pictured the mountains. Another group of people pictured a beautiful forest. Another group of people pictured like open rolling hills. Another group of people a really still calm sea. But there was one thing in common with all the different images that people pictured when they thought of peace. There were no people in them. <laughs> so the first thing we do when we think about peace, get rid of all the other people. But here's the thing, you're made for more than just tranquility. You have been strategically positioned for the purpose of increasing the peace in your family, with your friends, in your workplace. You can have a positive impact, increase the shalom, the right relationship with God and the right relationships with other people where he has placed you. The space between you and other people isn't a territory to be contested, but an opportunity for you to bring blessing. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Peace isn't a prize you have to cling to, but a gift you can share. And often we think of peace as being invaded by trouble or disruption or things that worry us. But if the Holy Spirit is in you, the sovereign spirit is working to bring you peace, then actually your peace can overflow and start to invade the uneasy places, the anxious places in your workplace, in your university, in your school, in your home, in your family. If peace isn't the feeling of tranquility, it's the restoring of right relationships. And I know people are complex. You know, maybe... Um, I don't know, your family is complex. Maybe your colleagues are complex. Maybe you have a difficult boss. Maybe you are a difficult boss. Um, you know, Jesus talks about the importance of obedience in this passage. And obedience is a proof of our love. It's like a test of our love. But the place often obedience is hardest is when we're trying to be, I don't know, kind to those who really annoy us. Where it's costly, when we're trying to forgive those who have hurt us. When it's difficult to trust again those who have let us down. When we're, when we're trying to love those, we don't even, if we're honest, like. You look at this passage. Jesus is having supper with his closest friends and followers before he goes to the greatest challenge of his life, before he goes to the cross. And as he speaks, he's looking into the eyes of those who within 24 hours will betray him, will deny they know him, will abandon him in his moment of greatest need. His peace isn't dependent on the absence of trouble or their positive reaction to him. He can pray for them to be blessed even while knowing that they will turn against him and turn away from him. I find that so powerful. And you know, the two most significant things I've found in my personal relationships to try and help bring peace is to forgive people and to pray for people. Just seems to have this disproportionate impact. I, um, I knew this guy um, a while ago, and if I'm honest, I found him uh, really difficult. He was quite rude. Um, he could be quite unkind um, in lots of little ways and, and big ways too, actually. And he obviously didn't like me for some reason, and uh, he really started to get under my skin and affect my peace. And you know, got to the stage where being in the same room as him would unnerve me a little bit, and actually it started to affect my sleep. And um, I went to see a really experienced mentor, and they said, well, have you thought about um, you know, turning your worries into prayers? And I was like, that's a good idea. He said, yeah, well, it's important to worry about. It's important enough to pray for. I was like, that's a great idea. And he said, and maybe you could start by praying for him. I was like, that's not a good idea. <laughs> 
He was like, no, you, you, could, you could pray for God to bless him. I said, yeah, exactly. I don't want God to bless him. I want to pray against him. He's not been very nice to me. And he was like, no, no, no. He was trying to encourage me. He said, look, just give it a go. Give it a go. So that night, I was trying to get to sleep. I just couldn't get to sleep. It was bothering me. And I thought, well, what's the harm? You know, give it a go. So I said, you know, Lord, would you bless? Let's just call him Phil. Because that's his name, actually. And... Um, <laughs> Um, would you help him? You know, I, you made him. I don't know why you made him. Um, you love him. I'm not sure why you love him, but you do. And, um, and I almost felt like I said, do you really want me to bless him? Yeah. It's like a test. Yeah, I want, you, I want you to bless him. And, and then I went to bed, fell into a deep sleep. And I, it doesn't always work like this. But what I found was that the next day, I felt entirely different about the situation. Um, and it was almost like something had shifted, like his power to unsettle me had been dissolved by my prayer. You know, I'd, I just found myself much more understanding of him, like much more sympathetic towards him, like wishing him well, like I'd forgiven him. You see, when you see, when you glimpse, actually we're not that different from the disciples who ran the table with Jesus. Like we... We mess up in so many ways. We go our own way. And we betray Jesus in 101 little ways. And we turn away from him. And yet he forgives us. And he prays for us. And he welcomes us back. And the Holy Spirit comes rushing in and takes up residence in your life. When you start to glimpse that, then it kind of helps you to leave your interest to one side and to start to work for peace wherever he's placed you. It kind of helps you to kind of almost put your tranquility to one side and try and increase the peace where you find yourself. To kind of almost try and bless other people with peace. To forgive people. To be kind to people even when they're difficult. You know, maybe to take a stand on an issue of justice at work because so often if there's no justice, it's really hard to have peace. Maybe praying for an enemy who you find so difficult or doing the right thing though no one's watching or doing the right thing that everyone is watching. Taking the first step when it comes to forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, forgiving other people. Then you can start to see division turned into unity. You can start to see enemies turned into friends. You can start to see your hurts turned into sources even of healing and resentments start to turn into reconciliation. That's what's possible by the power of the Spirit. Peace isn't just a state of mind you achieve. It's a person you receive. He's available today. He's here today. It's not just a prize you cling to. It's a gift from God himself that you can share. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>